and begin. <laughs> Take two. Mystery bruises. Where do they come from? It could have been a fun week. It could have been bad. I don't know. It's a mystery bruise. That's the PG version. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Folks will never know. Possibly what I said on the previous version. Um, how's it going? Oh, it's it's going. It's going. Um, remember when I said that I wouldn't uh, try to, like, fill everything in all of this, this time uh, that I have not being a studio owner? Um, well, I failed. <laughs> failed miserably. Uh, I think I, I booked myself out of days off for the entire month of February. Um, so... Who saw that one coming? <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? Well, you know, well, that's because you got to make a living, though. Yeah. Yes, and that uh, yes, that is entirely because money has to be made, um, and uh, and then it just becomes a sort of like, oh, you need me to teach? Okay, I'll be there. You need me to teach? Okay, I'll be there. You need me to teach? Okay, I'll be there. Um, yes. By the way, thank you for that. Oh, of course. <laughs> yes, this is not some some roundabout way of guilt tripping you because yep. I'm You've subbing done it. your class. You've done it. <laughs> it's okay. I'm I'm already teaching all day, so it's like, what's one more? What's one more? <laughs> oh um, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Indeed. Um, how are you? I am. Uh, I'm all right. I've got some. I got some serious mob guilt because uh, this week I am working with no childcare help, um, which is fine and lovely and kind of fun. It's like a fun challenge. Can I do it? The answer is not well. Um, <laughs> so I've been like trying to be as creative as possible. I'm also having a no spend February. Yes, you had mentioned. Which is awesome and fun and difficult. But, you know, like uh, right now, Frankie has allowed me to record Unrolled because she is neck deep in James and the Giant Peach. And I, you know, will unwind that in years of therapy down the road, I'm sure. Because <laughs> turns out James and the Giant Peach is actually. Like a Tim Burton and a little scary. <laughs> Fair. Fair. But it's okay. I mean, she's two. She should... She, she, should, <laughs> she should... She should something. I don't... I know. I don't know which direction to go with this joke. <laughs> she's two. <laughs> she should be comfortable with that by now. I don't know. I, I don't know. Workshop. We'll workshop it. <laughs> um, there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about uh, with you today. And um, I really... I. I I feel like the thing I'd like to talk about first is uh, talking about self-care and uh, how we talk about self-care in the classroom mm -hmm. and how we make profits off of telling people to practice self-care. And all of this came about for me because of an article um, about the new self-care Barbie that was released have you seen this? Yes, you sent me a, uh, a picture. 
you did. <laughs> if you can find the link for it, I'll put it in the in the show notes. Wellness Barbie. Oh, is it called Wellness Barbie? Self-care Barbie. Oh, moral perfection to the younger set. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, it's a beautiful <laughs> title of the article. Let me just find it. Here it is. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a Vice article called New Wellness Barbie Lead Children to the Gruesome Altar of Self-Care. <laughs> Finally, a toy to teach our youth to go to $25 yoga classes, stand in line at Sweetgreen, and not ask any bigger questions about why everyone is self-soothing so very much. That's brilliant. Oh, my God. And, I know. And Barbie has Barbie uh, has like differently articulated joints so she can sit in Agni oh, Stambasana. Jesus. Come on now. Here we are. Um, introduce little girls to the benefits of self-care through play. <sighs> wow. This collection teaches girls daily routines that promote emotional well-being and includes three key themes meditation, physical well-being, and self-care. Because Barbie knows to be one's best is to give yourself the best care. That's the press release. Oh my god. <sighs> so many things, so many things. Um So, okay, the direction I want to go is this is really this is really complicated. Yes, it's very complicated. And like, as someone that straddles the line of, oh my God, I need more self-care in my life. God, I really need, you know, I need to go to bed early and drink more water and I got to get my practice in. And like, I, you know, I feel that and I, I recognize its value. And then the other side of my brain is always like, this is such fucking horseshit. This is a larger systemic issue. The reason I'm like clawing to have those brief moments of respite from the frickin slaughterhouse is that, you know, I financially and, you know, emotionally and systemically and uh, I'm just fucked. And, and I don't mean that as like a poor me thing. It's in my generation. It's this is yeah. to Kate. Yeah. I'm not saying this is a Kate thing. So for those of you that are like, she's in trouble, send her an email. Um, I'm okay. I think, but you know, like, okay, so let's see. And, and we're coming right up on election season. And I think about, you know, things like forgiving student loans and how that would be the best self-care <laughs> Sure. for so many of us, you know, or like paid, um, paid family leave. Yep. That's some pretty good self-care right there. Yep. <sighs> but do you ever, I mean, It so seems to me like it, it, it's like no one of those particular policies will necessarily like so, like I was thinking about this the other day like do these policies even make sense if they don't lead to some unraveling of of capitalism because if you have paid family leave how many people are going to take that opportunity to like oh crap now we have a kid we need more money now we got to go do some side hustle to make more money so the kid can survive. Like, you know, like it, 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 yes, it provides support, but I don't know. And there was this great, um, uh, um, 
shoot, what is the name of the podcast? Uh, it's called The Impact. That's what it's called. Uh, it's a Vox podcast. Um, and they were talking about uh, this foray into free college in Kalamazoo and how they really had to rethink what that means because just giving people free college doesn't really do anything unless there are the support structures to address the systemic things that would prevent them from not only uh, attending college financially, but from completing college um, and how they've had to sort of shift gears on that program to provide a lot more support than just the financial. Um, and uh, and it's like so often this idea of like the issue with the term self-care is that it immediately gets commodified and it's reached its peak in the fact that there's a fucking Barbie. (laughs) But in its, you know, the simplest idea that like we have some autonomy to to care for ourselves like we have some agency that we can do some really simple things to care for ourselves is both important and then you have to understand it in context so that you know it doesn't become this like guilt spiral of oh i'm not doing enough self-care it's like yeah well you're not doing enough self-care because you've got like 20 other things and it you know the price of living in boston is out of control and you got to hustle a little bit like and so how to really be in a situation where we might teach some things that are helpful towards people's overall well-being and ability to care for themselves and hold the fact that we're also doing that and there is a there is a value exchange going on there that is held within the context of capitalism that is that muddies the waters quite significantly and that's the thing like i i had a moment in class where i was like am i just sort of creating and support a space that allows people to keep doing something that's like really terrible (laughs) like here's some tools so that you can keep you know, you can keep the hustle vigorous. Yeah. So that you can you know, get up and go back to that toxic, you know, situation. Like we can weaponize the tools of yoga, obviously. Yes. You know? yes. Um, and I, so, but then it's not for me to judge. First of all, I, it's for me to just show up and, you know, teach the tools that have been useful to me. That's it. But when you extrapolate it, it it can go in that direction. And then I had a moment where I was talking about it in class and I was like thinking to myself, man, I'm basically telling them like not to come to class. (laughs) Yep. That's right. That's right. (laughs) That's right. That's what it comes down to is like, teaching you said this teaching yourself out of a job 
Yeah. And, you know, for those of you, if you happen to be my employer and you're listening, don't worry. I'm not like standing up in front of the room and saying, don't come to class. But <laughs> what I am saying is, like, let's look at the things that we're told to spend money on yeah. in the name of self care. Yeah. And um, why do we need so much self care? Yes. Are you here because of self-care? What are you here for? And like, for me, the the practice of yoga is the larger practice of just like awareness and questioning mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to bring myself to a greater place of sustainable presence mm-hmm. and compassion for being a human in a meat bag. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, the self-care probably makes me... I feel guilt about my participation in the gruesome altar of self-care culture. I do, but more so I feel anger that more teachers don't feel guilt about it. Mm -hmm. I feel like, well, at least I feel guilty. (laughs) (laughs) That's some serious Catholicism you're grappling with. (laughs) Oh my God, you're right. (laughs) At least I have the badge of shame that makes my labor purer than yes. someone else Good God. now you're speaking my language <laughs> <laughs> so fucked yeah yeah but seriously and then and then i think well what am i expecting from like a 27 year old fucking <sighs> i know this is an old trope but a 27 year old skinny white chick like Am I mm-hmm. thinking that she's going to be engaged with her fucking teaching at this level in terms of like self-doubt and Catholic and Catholic <laughs> self uh, opus day level of yeah. flagellatory? I don't know. I, but, you know, then when you step when I think, uh, well, yes, I would hope that this theoretical yoga teacher would feel some guilt about it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when they're not, uh, is this a good place to pivot into (laughs) to attempt to tie it in to the conversation around often the teachers that are getting paid the most are the ones that are not necessarily publicly engaged with this level of discourse. Well, I mean, I, I think there's something inherent, like if you're going to have a studio in a big city, like, yes, you got to get bodies in the room. Like, there's just no, like, there's no two ways about it unless, you know, you're operating with some pretty, like, heavy donors or personal wealth um, uh, where you can af- sort of afford to to not necessarily step on the gas in that in that regard um but i think most studios uh almost every studio that i know of is operating on some sort of a system that um uh uh incentivizes the the most popular teaching and um I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that, except for the fact that it doesn't... Uh, 
It doesn't necessarily then value the... It kind of values the surface surface level of it all. And even if there's someone who's got... Who's, like, exceptionally skilled and exceptionally knowledgeable and their classes are full, uh, there's still not a... Um, like, there's still a limit to what can happen when one person is teaching a room of 50. As opposed to one person teaching a room of 10. Um, and I don't think anyone's been able to kind of, like, crack the code, <laughs> as it were, um, to balance those two things out. Um I mean, I certainly tried at Bow Street. It was just, it it just didn't didn't work for many many reasons. Um, but to be able to value the people who have a a. Uh, To be able to value people's teaching more than the number of bodies that people have in the room is is something that um, has been in every I'm trying to think in every studio that I've ever participated in um, has been a tricky balance. So what do we do, Ryan? Um, I mean, the, the tricky thing is, is to change that you're, you're, you would be inherently disrupting people's livelihood. And so there is something about like the status quo that like, if the status quo is like vaguely working, it, people are going to have a bias towards that. Right. Um, so it would take a big, big push to change that. Um, and, uh, And, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting to me, like, I'm very curious to see what the Yoga Works union contract is going to end up looking like out of New York. Like, I'm just very curious as to the agreement that they're going to come to. Because that that might be the starting point of the conversation to see, okay, look, someone's someone has asked for kind of basic labor rights, for lack of a better term and this big company has agreed to it so let's see what that looks like and then you know if there are things in there that are interesting and and feel like worth duplicating then i think it could spread even if it doesn't spread in terms of unions popping up everywhere it just could be that other uh uh employers and employees go like you know what that's actually a really good idea um but it if they do come to an agreement, it will set some sort of precedent that will be worth looking at and either um, borrowing from or deciding that now that's not not that wasn't the right way to go about it, you know. Um, so I'm very curious to see what that looks like. Um, and then I just think it there has to be there will always be this tension between like. <clears throat> 
just the economics of running a drop-in studio and, um, you know, really trying to advocate for yoga, period. Um, and I think trying to find an trying to create an institution that does both is exceedingly challenging which is why people when i've spoken with people like judith lassiter um she has always more advocated for yoga to be kind of housed within um more of an academic academia uh, academic um um uh, context um, and then I've, you know, certainly there are people in the yoga therapy realm who would more like to see yoga held more within the sort of medical physical therapy, um, uh, setting. Um, and I don't know, there is still part of me that would love to see n not the separation of those two, uh, of, of the drop-in studio from sort of an institution of learning. Um, and I just don't, I don't really see it happening. And the amount of conversation and, and um, reflection and collective uh, um, work that it would take to, and money that it would take to do that um, it's a big hurdle. But I do think it's valuable to have a place where someone could learn about, you know, the history of this practice, the philosophical underpinning, you know, the anatomy of the, <laughs> and biomechanics of the human body, um, and go to a, you know, heated flow class and get a vigorous, ex you know, experience of yoga. Like, I think that would be a novel idea. Um, I just don't. It, it might, it might be representing too many purposes to actually, um, be pulled off. if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't. And so what do you do? You just step back and say, okay, here's what it is. Well, I mean, right now I step it. back and say, well, I got to make money right now. I know. And then that's I what I, that's what I do. It's and... like, would I love to, to participate and do that? Yeah. But is it probably going to be a shit ton of uncompensated work? hundred percent. So <laughs> right now I'm just going to sit back and try to make money and continue to study and improve my skills as a practitioner and body worker. And, and, you know, yeah, maybe when yeah. there's a little more financial stability in my life, then I'll jump up and down and try to make a point about it. <laughs> yep. No, I feel exactly the same way. Like, oh, no, this is all good stuff and worthy of conversation and inspection. And I really need to, like, be able to pay that bill that's coming yes. up and to have time to take a shower. Yes. And I was just thinking about that as I was saying that. It's like, Ryan, are you going to have time to shower before you go teach later? And I got a, I got a, I got a mom 
well. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to me how optimistic, how stupidly optimistic I am about time. Yeah. Like stupid. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm totally going to have time to do X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. And, um, and then I don't, but I always make time to criticize. And I mean that in a loving way. I will always make time to, it's like, I, all I have the capacity to do is be like, there's a problem over there. (laughs) I can't help. (laughs) There's nothing I can do about it, but look. Someone else with more resources, go deal with that. <laughs> Whatever character this is that you've slipped into, I think we should spin off a whole other podcast. Just <laughs> It's the um, centipede from James and the Giant Peach. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's the Commodore. <laughs> Fair. The, the spider who he ends up banging later. Yes. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not explicitly said, but it's pretty clear. Um, the spider lovingly calls him the Commodore. <laughs> so that's the Commodore. <sighs> you know what's fun to just pick at your skin, like when you're anxious, you know? <laughs> like instead of like drinking or doing drugs or eating or having sex or any of that, just pick at your skin. Just pick at your skin. Okay, I'll try that next time. <laughs> Have you ever noticed the amount of like teachers with like no nails from biting them? No, I've never noticed that. Yeah, neither have I. I'm just wondering if it's a thing. <laughs> I, don't, no, no, I don't know. I have no nails because I have to keep them short for body work. <laughs> that's, that's why I have no nails. But I would bite them. <laughs> oh, this is fun. I was driving my nephew to his wrestling match. He's in high school. And before we left, he was like, I got to cut my nails real short. They won't let me wrestle if you can see any of the whites. Oh, and I was like, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, uh, <laughs> how do we make an awkward pivot from here? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no way to do that. There's no way to do that. So, um, as we're recording right now, the, the New Hampshire oh. primary was on, um, uh, Tuesday? Yes, it was on Tuesday. This is Thursday. Um, And all I could think about as I, you know, watched the results roll in and was having this thought of, like, you should really just turn this off right now. This is not really helpful. You could just read about this in the morning. (laughs) Like, and I I couldn't turn away. I just had had to watch. Um, And then... I had the thought, like, is my nervous system, like, really going to be able to handle these next eight months of election tomfoolery? And I think the answer is distinctly no. And I, I worry about that because I can't imagine I'm the only one. And the apathy that that might... Stoke. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's gonna be a 
it's going to be a long year. <laughs> do you do you binge watch election coverage or are you are you yeah, free oh, yes. from that? Okay. No, no, no. I'm full tilt. I it makes me anxious to not know. Yes, and it I makes agree. me anxious to know. So uh here we are. Here and we are. I, you know, I try to limit it to, um, you know, first thing in the morning all day and then last thing at night <laughs> so that, <laughs> so that at least when you're sleeping, you can dream about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I fall asleep listening to, um, <laughs> uh, I really like listening to Chuck Todd. Just he's, <laughs> I remember not liking him when he first took over Meet the Press, but now I just love him because he can't hide his disdain and rage anymore. <laughs> That's fair. Like he is such, he is not. You two impartial. have much in it's, common. <laughs> it's hysterical. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm engaged with, uh, I listen to a lot of NPR and I, yeah. um, MSNBC, and I, I, I try to switch over to Fox once in a while um, because I think it's important to hear what other people are hearing. Um, but I try to do that when I'm like at the gym so that I don't throw <laughs> so that I'm in public and I can be um, accountable to larger social norms. norms so you don't throw weight across. The gym. <laughs> yeah. And like I, I, I basically use Twitter just for political stuff. So I follow like all the Trumps and um, I just follow a lot of our elected officials and I. Yeah, I don't know. It's too much, though. And um, I find that I have larger questions during these types of political seasons where I'm like, oh, Jesus, I, I'm not in the right line of work. <laughs> I, you know, I feel like I'd be more useful somewhere else. But then when I walk into the classroom, I'm like, no, this is where I'm supposed to be. And then sometimes they infect each other. And I, re I remember having this conversation with you before where it's like, do politics, discussing politics at all, mentioning, alluding to them. Yeah. Does, does that have a place in the classroom? And to be clear, I'm not talking like I'm not like, you know, putting people in a restorative pose and then like talking, talking about, about you know, I mean, I think that that's violent. But you just get every, get everybody in, in soup to butter canasta and go, so Trump. Uh... Yeah. So I get everybody in soup to butter canasta un, unsupported 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 and then i start talking about how you know planned parenthood is losing funding and it's impossible to get an abortion you know so i feel like those two things should always go hand in hand it's just an open pelvic floor and a discussion of with reproductive rights um no i but <laughs> okay go ahead warm hand up a short skirt um <laughs> Alrighty then. Uh, no, no, but I bring this up because I, I will sometimes at the beginning of class make reference to whatever has happened that day that might be on people's minds. Mm -hmm. And I think it's weird not to. I, yeah. I don't know. Is it weird not to? I just sometimes I walk into a class and I'm like, this teacher has no idea what just happened. Yeah. And like, is that good? Maybe. But I also am just like not a fan of pretending that yoga is in this glass fucking jar. It's not a place 
for some people, it's the place for them to leave their troubles at the door and just make time for them, their breath and their body and their mat. Just yeah. breath, body, and mat. That's it. Turn everything else off. Leave the rest at the door. For me, I think that that is um, that is false. And maybe some people can do that, but maybe that's not even useful. I don't know. Like sometimes I come to the mat and I'm like, oh, great. Now I get to not think about whatever. But what happens more often than not is I think about whatever. Yeah. And it's in the body and it's coming up in the body. So to like pretend it's not there is to push it back down into the body. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe just moving through without explicitly thinking about it is a nice way to process. Which is why I don't talk about it during, I think, the larger part of class. But. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I think that's that that's always a tricky. Um, so there, you know, and this this especially uh, is true whenever whenever I'm teaching meditation, um, but it's true of of yoga asana as well. Like there is this sort of pop idea that these practices you know, are are fundamentally too quiet and, you know, what some people will, will sort of inherently assume is that quiet means that their mind will cease to be active. And, you know, that's, that's not really my experience of the day to day practice. It's the, the quiet is more, that is talked about in terms of shamatha practice, uh, which is the seated meditation practice, and in terms of asana. Um, well, let me separate those two a little bit. So the quiet in terms of seated meditation is more one in which um, there is less relative to however you you've been in the rest of your life that day that hour there is potentially uh the ability to create less reactivity to the things that are arising um and enough awareness to note um when something is arising that is just really too much to feel or too much to inquire into that you can just set it aside which is different than um pushing it away or letting it go it's just like oh that uh i don't i'm uh you know as my friend rod will often instruct that you know you can just change the channel um and then you know that ability to settle doesn't has never come with a sense that or has never been an experience of of difficult things not arising. Because they do. In fact, sometimes they arise more clearly than they do when you're walking around in everyday life. Because you're, like, sitting there not doing anything. And you're like, oh, shit. I'm feeling this thing. I'm, I'm you know... Sometimes I sit and I'm like, wow, I'm really angry. And it's like, I just didn't have the time and space to, like, acknowledge the anger that I was carrying around all day. And it's not like that's necessarily a pleasant experience to come face to face with that anger all the time. Um, But uh, uh, 
it's certainly worth noting and observing. And then when it comes to the asana practice, because there are so many other variables involved, sometimes there is more of an experience of um, there. Sometimes there can be more of an experience I find of the mind not being front and center. Um, but it's still there. It's still operating. Um, and, and in fact, I find it really interesting and important to acknowledge how it's operating as I'm moving through one posture to another posture to another posture. Um, but I think if we use, like, there's a subtle difference between using practice as an escape and using practice as just a, a place to, um, feel what's going on with a little more clarity. Um, and personally, if I feel like I need an escape, if I feel like I need that sort of drowning out of things, then that's when I go watch Netflix. That's not necessarily when I practice. If that makes any sense. Um, but I think, I think we, I think these are all sort of shades of nuance though, because it, practice can be a place of, of, is a place of refuge and, and respite from everything else that's going on. But to me, that's just never meant that I am ignoring the broader context in which I'm practicing, which includes the fact that we're in an election year and, you know, bombarded with a particular type of stimulus <laughs> um, every day and that, you know, um, and that oddly we really haven't had snow and it's the middle of February. Um, you know, like I'm not going to divorce the practice from the, the, um, context in which it's happening and practice is, is going to give me a little bit of relief, but the relief is, also surrounded by all of the other shit that might get stirred up by practicing. I think that a public space for people to be able to practice matters. And that's the biggest thing that matters is uh, in this conversation, not in general, but yeah. you know, like when I step back, it's like uh, a place for people to come and move and feel better. And they're going to get different things from different teachers. And 
I have a little bit of sometimes systemic commentary that happens at the beginning of class and then it stops. Um, and I think that that's okay. And it's like, just, oh, I, I think it's okay for me to be okay with doing that. I am just reflective of the fact that I've taken classes with people that have really talked about politics, like aggressively for a long <laughs> period of time like, with an open laptop. Yeah. Um, and that to me is like, what are you doing? But I would rather have a little, I would rather have it mentioned or nodded to than yeah. completely ignored. That to me feels expensive and tone deaf yeah. and privileged. Well, also, and, I mean, isn't half the reason we don't say the things that are on our mind in class because, you know, even if they might be worthwhile is that a there there may be some genuine desire not to offend people but when your money is when your paycheck is tied to how many people are in the room there's really uh <laughs> like impetus to be like oh wait maybe I shouldn't say that no one's going to come back to class like <laughs> yeah and i usually like the joke i usually make when i have that fear is like oh i can hear the yelp review getting written <laughs> Um, but at the same time, like I, I, you know, and it, I could have more people in the room if I did certain things and I just am not crazy about doing those things and there'd be less people in the room if I did certain things. <laughs> yeah. And I usually just trust that the people that want to be around whatever I'm doing make their way there and mm -hmm. stay if they want to stay and leave when they're ready to go and come back if they want. It is, I, there is such a – I just don't like the ownership of students and I don't – most students get to a point where that teacher they go to all the time they just stop going to. Yeah. And it's interesting, though, like, to watch people in their process around that, like, because um, it's just part of the story narrative of your relationship with a studio, your economic and personal and emotional relationship around place and person. Yeah. Oh, and that makes me think. So I, I joined a Y in Rhode Island, a YMCA, and I haven't made it to a yoga class yet, but um, I did walk by one that was being taught the other day. And I've got some judgy things in my mind about YMCA yoga because I'm awful. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I walked by and it was being taught in like the gym where the basketball court is. Mm-hmm which a interesting and then b because there's like another room where they could have it yeah. that maybe it was scheduled who knows and um the teacher was wearing sneakers and uh I, you know i clutched my pearls and gasped <laughs> and you know people were like stopping at the door to look in and see what was happening so the students were like being observed and, uh, you know, students were going in way late and making a bunch of, it was just, it was, it was chaos. It was just YMCA chaos. And then I noticed who the teacher was. 
wait for it. The teacher was like a former big shit teacher that like, I don't know if how much I should talk about this. I don't know if it's appropriate. Anyways, here's what you need to know. The teacher was like a big name teacher. Let's just say that. It was a big name teacher. And there they were at my local Y in another state teaching in that scenario. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Yeah. There they are in sneakers teaching a YMCA class in a totally different context. And um, I had a, a moment of, oh, how the the mighty have fallen. And also a, <laughs> um, but also a notice of like, no, 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 that's not what this is. This is awesome. This yeah. is somebody that's like just changing shit up and like getting out and teaching to people that are not part of the like studio sort of scene, you know? Yeah. Um. I think I just told you way more about my bias than anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm texting you the name of the person. Oh, okay. Um, uh-huh. Um, is this fun for people yes, to listen to? this is great to fun one. for people to listen job. to. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> um... Do you ever give homework in class? Yeah. Usually, like, jokingly, but yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like much of my class is homework because some of the stuff that I am asking folks to be able to feel and and do are not necessarily... um, They're not instructions that I I took to immediately on the first time. So I don't expect people to, like, get it, per se. <laughs> it's just more like, yeah, think about this. <laughs> can you actually feel this? My favorite one is, can you actually feel your spine? Oh, I love that question. Work with that question for a while. Because <laughs> um, that... That shit fucked me up for a couple of couple of years. Um, <laughs> I very clearly remember sitting in meditation and thinking, "Oh, what is a spine? <laughs> what is a spine? Can I feel my spine, or is it just the intellectual projection of spine?" Yeah, what I feel is the surrounding tissues. Yeah. Spine. Yeah. Ooh. You know, and and so I don't expect people to like get that. Um, and I feel like those are always like the the moments in classes, the moments with teachers that I remember when when there was some instruction given that I was just like, what? And then like. Four years later, I'm in the middle of practice and go, oh, that's what they meant. (laughs) 
But I'm, I'm, a, wa- I'm a very particular type of human. Yeah, yes, you certainly are. <laughs> the disdain with which you said that. <laughs> no, there was no disdain. I was just pick- I was picking skin on my thigh, and uh, so my my voice dropped into a register. I didn't intend for it to. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Um. So, uh, so Yang dropped out, and I'm heartbroken. Are you? Were you a member of the Yang gang? No, not officially. Do you like math? <laughs> I do like math, and I do think... I just think he was hysterical. Yeah. And brilliant, and had some of the best answers to questions about, like, race and gender. Yeah. Um, I... I honestly have no no clue, no clue. Um, and I feel like it's so everything is like so rapidly changing with each. Like I wouldn't be surprised if there's no no nominee until the convention. Um. And uh, I actually, part of me wonders if that's actually for the best. Because then he can't, like, snipe at one person. Oh, that's a good point. Frankie agrees. (laughs) Frankie. James. My name is James. Oh, good times. Good times. So should I try to homeschool and work? Like, let's, can we plan my life, everyone, listeners? What do we think about homeschooling? (laughs) Oh, my God. You're going to try to work and homeschool? No, I mean, failure. But um, if any of our listeners have opinions and thoughts on it, send them our way. I love, I love. That's something you're not allowed to talk about, by the way. What? Homeschooling. It brings up a lot of feelings. People are real, are yes. real weird about it. They're real weird about it. It's true. It's so true. Also, um, I, you know, why don't we sort of think uh, towards the end of this podcast, uh, what aren't we talking about? Yes. In class I- or on the podcast? <laughs> or both? Both. <laughs> um. I think, uh, at least in the in the classroom, um, and maybe not directly in the classroom, but I think in the um, in studios more broadly, uh, I, I actually don't don't think the hands on conversation is is being. Examine in a way that isn't just like, okay, we got to find a solution. I think the nuance of that that conversation needs to be flushed out a little bit more. Um, and to hearken back to 
the rest of this podcast. It's just that nobody has the uh, time and therefore the money to sit down and talk about it. Because <laughs> it, it's a conversation that's worth worth diving into. And one that, that has to be, I think, had in the context of not... Um, like trying to figure out like what the solution is, but just, you know, as we've said before, like what is the value of touch and, and what is this context in which we are teaching and is it valuable in this context? Um, uh, and being able to have a conversation, um, a real conversation about that again, that's not, sort of aimed at needing the right answer um, is something that I think is not being talked about more broadly. Um, do you want to take one and then I'll go again? Do I want to take one and go again? No, like uh, no, I said something around tabs of acid. Yes, <laughs> we are. That's what we're not talking about. <laughs> no, if, what are you? If, what's something we're not talking about? Go. Um, I don't think we're talking about. Um, I don't think we're talking about race and class enough. Uh, mm-hmm. In the classroom and the podcast, I don't know. I. <laughs> I don't I don't think and mostly what I think is I don't think teachers are talking about it and I think it would be interesting if they did yes um, but that's a tall order for, I, I some people just want to teach yoga and for them yoga is something that isn't involved in those topics I yeah. think and I don't I think I put a lot on the practice um, and expect others to as well. And I think I'm, I, I, that if I step back and look back, I just sort of walk through life that way. I put a lot of things on a lot of things. That's just how my mind works. And it's not always fair for me to expect other people to do the same thing. But I also have to honor the fact that this is how I'm made up. This is how I'm built. So I, I will probably continue to operate this way. Um, but I, I wish people were sort of talking more about their participation in larger problematic um, trends mm-hmm. that are, you know, if we think above all like ahimsa, you know, like I, I wish people were more open to the idea that things that they think are innocuous are actually harmful. Yeah. And I think maybe that's the heart of what I'm getting at is I think some people roll their eyes and think, um, no, it's not me or that's just the way it is. I have to do this because it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Yeah, I've got to, you know, do this uh, workshop where I talk about this kind of thing and, you know, I got to keep it kind of surface or I have to teach these chaturangas or this sun. I've got to wear these clothes or take these pictures of myself because it's just what it is. I think there is a quiet acquiescence to the current that sickens me. Yeah. <laughs> like I just wish them, I, I, I wish there were more people that were more upset. Yeah. But that's, um, that's something I wish wish talked about more and not on this podcast. That's all we talk about, but like <laughs> in life more generally and <laughs> in, in yoga more generally. Um, 
All right, your turn. Take a tab of acid and tell us what we're not talking about. <laughs> That'd be a great workshop, Kate. <laughs> Just pass tabs of acid around. <laughs> what oh, do man, talk do you about? think that we could do edibles? I mean, we that's could. legal in Massachusetts. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I think people assume we're on edibles when we are on this podcast. Let me assure you, this is... the only edible I have had is stale leftover uh, French toast that my daughter didn't eat. Which which might might be considered Coffee. a controlled substance in the state of Rhode Island. <laughs> it, could, it could be, yes. Um, I, um, hmm. I don't even really know how to phrase this. Because part of it is that the space that's been constructed in modern yoga studios is not a safe enough space to hold these conversations. Um... because of the sort of transactional nature of things but i just i just wish that it was more um the norm for people to for class to include moments of of talking about individual experience within the context of the practice um, and I think that that's impossible to do when you have 50 people in the room. It just is. Um, but I think a lot would be revealed in a conversation about, okay, we just did this and I asked you to feel here. And what did that feel like? Could you feel anything? No. Actually, I felt it over here. Actually, all I could think about was the fact that um, I'm going through a period of grief and I couldn't really concentrate on the physical body at all. Uh, I just have this really stressful work thing, so I really wasn't paying attention to anything that you were saying, and I was just sort of doing the vague shape of the pose. Like, I, th- I think if there was more of a... a oh my bi- God, I love that. That's so true. ...ability to, like, pause and be like, okay, we just did some things, like, what what came up? Oh my um, God, the answer would, for so many people, be like, I just put myself in the vague shape and I was processing X, Y, Z. Exactly. Um, but I don't think that, I, I mean, even that was like, I could sometimes do that at Bow Street, but, you know, I think less of the, uh, I think the desire that some people have when they walk into a yoga studio to be kind of anonymous Um and then the expectation of what a class is like can sometimes override the the or or make it like a big hurdle to encourage that kind of that kind of dialogue. Um, but I think it would be helpful because I think people would realize that it would go a long way into dispelling this sort of one size fits all 
yoga. Um, that's still, you know, very much the norm. Um, and maybe it would help to dispel the, am I doing it right? Because you see, like, yeah, there's any number of experiences that could be had while we're talking about, I don't know, Warrior One, and all of them are potentially valuable. Um, and, uh, I just think it would, the, the classroom would have to, uh, not, not necessarily have to like physically look different, but it would, it would need to feel different to, to have that kind of dialogue. Um, and, and sometimes when I want to do that, it just feels like, like, I don't have the energy to shift the space because it, it takes a lot to, to like pause the class and be confident enough to be like, and what did you feel? <laughs> and what did you feel like? Yeah. And like, it, what's the appropriate class size for that to happen in? I mean, I think it, it, is somewhat a question of size and, and then it's also somewhat a question of um um like rapport like if everyone in the room like kind of knows each other or at least like vaguely knows each other then sometimes it's a little bit easier to do in a bigger group but i think like once you cross the like 10 person threshold it starts to get particularly challenging Yeah, because there's a class I would love to do that in, and I think that some of the students would be like on board and would would speak, but it's like also breaking that fourth wall, yes. you know. And then if you have a larger class, excuse me, if you have a larger class and like a handful of people that are like, oh, the same people always speak first. Yes, the same people are always talking. I don't know. And uh, yeah. It does take energy, though. Okay, your turn. Have an edible and tell me. <laughs> um, I wish we were talking more about how uh, we... are still uh, really focused on the hyper mobility and the cult of the cult of uh, taking pictures of handstands <laughs> you know the um, the the hyper sexualization of yoga and um, I don't know I think we it's it we're not talking about it anymore because it, we got tired of talking about it yeah <laughs> you know Well, then, and then how do you address the hyper-sexualization of yoga advertising without it being a conversation that veers into uh, a somewhat negative view of sexuality more broadly? I know. 
That is such a good point because it's not that it, it it's such, it's, it's just, oh, yeah. Or, or like body shaming, yeah. you know? And um, it really has more to do with representation. Like when you peel it back, the first, you know. Yeah. It's really just about representation when you only show one form of sexualized yoga. Yes. <laughs> when you only show the people that have historically allowed to be sexual with their yoga, which is the thinny, the skinny. The thinny, the thinny. <laughs> which is th- thinny, end of, end of thought. Um, that's why I really love watching. Uh, I follow Jessamine Stanley. Sure, yeah, Everybody yeah. should, you know. And, and now they have two different profiles. One's like the really sexy one. Oh, I didn't realize this. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's one where it's just straight up like weed smoking, masturbation talk, and an ass in the air. It's hysterical. But yoga is usually involved in that too. Yeah. It's brilliant. And it's challenging. And uh, we need more people, fearless, fearless people like that to show that there's many ways to be. Yep. And there's many and and all, you know, like you are lovable, however you are. Um, I, uh, it's so important. And I always think about this, like, well, where's the first place you can address this as like a, as a yoga teacher or a yoga studio owner. And it's like the first and most important place is in the marketing, like what, who you choose to represent, who you choose to repeatedly represent is, um, is the loudest in the room. It's the loudest factor in the room. Um, Yeah, I I feel like I'm fucking Debbie Downer over in the corner. <laughs> isn't isn't that the was that not an alternate title for this podcast? At Here one comes point? Debbie Downer. <laughs> Did you know that feline leukemia is the number one cause of death with house cats? <laughs> oh my god. I don't know that that's true, but I feel like that's something that they said on Saturday night, Saturday night live. That sounds about right to me. <sighs> All right, we're done here. Yeah, we're done here. Oh, um, so <laughs> we, uh, I spent time over the last many, many weeks archiving the first hundred episodes of the podcast. Um, so they are now not viewable on your feed. Uh, however... The, uh, hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, there will be a way to support what we're doing, uh, at, uh, unrollpodcast.com. Um, and the way that that will work is that you will, uh, if you want get to do a monthly fee of $8 and you'll have access to the archive. And then you'll also have access to all of the practice materials, um, that, uh, are up on my website including audio classes and then hopefully over the course of the year more and more stuff will be added to that library um and uh so it'll be either eight dollars a month or 85 dollars for the year 
And what that allows us to do is continue recording, to pay ourselves for recording, for me to continue to develop uh, practice resources um, so that, you know, people have have uh, a way to reference both what I'm doing in class, but also just sort of general information and inspiration for practicing on your own at home. Um, and, uh, if for whatever reason the $8, uh, a month is too much, but you'd still like to support, you can always reach out to me, um, at unrolledpodcast at gmail.com and we can find a way to work that out for you. Um, so yeah, I think that's all I've got. Uh, oh, and we, we teased, uh, the, the thing that's coming up last week. We did a J last week and I think we might have to do a J again because I don't think it's ready to be announced. Is it? Is it? I don't know. I mean, this won't go out till next Wednesday. Now nah, let's save it. Let's save it. Okay. You're just going to have to wait another week. Because <laughs> we're terrible people. <laughs> terrible, terrible uh, people. Drink more water. Yes. Get good sleep. Self-care yes. costs so much more than a fucking face mask. Yes. Vote. <laughs> register. Register. <clears throat> register. And then vote. Yes. Do we have do we have listeners in Nevada? I'm assuming that we do. Go caucus. Go caucus hard. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.